Well, that's good. 1 Kings 13, did I say? 1 to 24. By God's grace, it will fit in. Ah. Okay. One to twenty-four. So this, actually, uh, I'll just start with this so that we can come back to it in a minute. This is an example of a test command. Um, you'll know it quite well. And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. So it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the sayings of the man of God who cried out against the altar in Bethel, that he stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Arrest him. Then his hand which he stretched out towards him withered, so he could not pull it back to himself. The altar also was split apart, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favour of the Lord your God, and pray for me, that my hand might be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and became as it was before. Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. Here comes the test command. But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread, nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. Test command. So he went another way, and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. Now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel, and his son, or even Bethel, <laughs> sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to him, Which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went, who came from Judah. And he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it. And the man went the ma and went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. And he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you, nor go in with you, neither can I eat bread, nor drink water with you from this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, You shall not eat bread, nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. Then he said to him, I too am a prophet, as you are, and an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him, and ate bread in his house, and drank water. Now it happened, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, 
Thus says the Lord, Because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord, and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but came back, ate bread, and drank water, in the place of which the Lord said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water, your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. So it was, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled the donkey for him and the prophet whom he had brought back. So when he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown on the road, and the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse. That's a, an excellent example of a test command. Um, no, there's nothing... Someone is saying it's pretty tricky. There's nothing tricky about it. If God gives you a command, you follow his command. It's exactly the same as happened in the Garden of Eden. God said, of all the trees in the garden you make, but don't eat of that one. It's a test command. The consequences for us were when they broke that command, we live with the fall. The consequences for this man of God who heard the voice of the Lord, it's a warning that if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not be swayed by someone else. It is very, very easy, and it's a test. God is testing you. I've said to you, do thus and so. Somebody else comes and did God really say? If you know the word, you'll know that God allows um, lying spirits to go into the mouth of his prophets. Who will, who will go forth and be a lying spirit? Who's in control? We looked this morning, or we should have done, in our meditation at the sovereignty of God. Who's in control? But he tests our free will all the time. Um, God isn't unfair. We need to know his ways, like we said before. We must know the ways of God, or it will trip us up if we don't know his ways. But we're going to get slaughtered because we, we trip up. I mean, like this chap, you know, for him... Doing the wrong thing was death, wasn't it? It depends on your walk with the Lord. What I can't get away with, you can. Mm. But as he draws you into close fellowship, look at Moses. Spoke with God face to face. He saw the miracles. He saw his works. He spent 40 days on the mount with God. But his ungoverned desires at the end of the day discounted him from going into this inheritance. These things are written here as warnings to us that we should walk circumspectly before God. He's not got a big stick. He will not expect from you what he expects from me. As I say so often, when you've got a toddler and it sticks his porridge on his head, you wipe it up and laugh and say, no, darling, in your mouth, not on your head. You get your 13-year-old doing that. You react in, in a very different way. And I need to say at this time too that the amount of years you have been a Christian has got nothing whatsoever to do with it. You can have been a Christian 50 years and still be an epios, an, uh, one that has never matured. So he's not going to expect of you that which he hasn't taught you. This man was a prophet he brought the words of the Lord, so he's hearing clearly from God. But the same temptation as before. And you notice an angel met me. And this is what we have to be aware of, that the, the trip up is that it will come, the Lord said to me. 
that you shouldn't do this and so. And that's ever so difficult for someone like me. It's very difficult when someone says, oh, well, God's told me. And I'm saying it's directly against his word. But inside me, I'm a bit like this because I'm thinking, well, if God really has said, who am I? But I'm thinking, you don't go against your word. This is how you can test it. He will not go against what he's said. He's not going to tell someone to go out and strangle somebody else because it's totally against his word. Thou shalt not. Yes. So, I mean, we can only go briefly into th things about inheritance and test commands and things like that in a minute because it's not the purpose of this week really to go that way. The purpose of this week is to regain our inner territory. So don't have the wind up about God suddenly clobbering you because part of your process and your walk is learning about his grace when we make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. But if I suddenly decided I was going to go into adultery, I suddenly thought, oh, I've got an ungoverned desire here, I think I'll follow it, you know, because I'm the same flesh as anybody else, even though at my age, I, I, it does not mean that I, I'm not still a sexual being. Um, I think that you might have something a bit more to say to me than if one of the others of you did it. It's all part of our early learning curve. So don't, don't think that God is, is a, standing there like this. This, as it says in Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and suitable for, for admonition, correction and training. It's all in there. It's not quite the right quote of that scripture, but it's something like that. Someone likes to find it for me. If we believe God is a merciful God, does that mean his mercy gets less as we get further, as we know him more, his mercy on us is less? It means that we do not frustrate, it's not mercy, it's grace. And we do not use our liberty as an occasion for sin. It's mercy doesn't mercy is what saves us. Grace is what continues us. And we walk in the grace of God, but we do not use people do not understand what the grace of God is. The grace of God is the power to do what He asks you to do. He's empowering to do. So if he says to me, which he has and to Joyce, I want you to be celibate, I do not want you to marry, guess what? He's given us the grace to be single. Paul says, I wish that all were like me. Um, it's knowing him he is the most delightful person you will ever meet but he is also a holy God and a good father you can't say I'm saved and that's it now and go and do just exactly what I like because God's grace will that almost is the homosexual lobby the gay church well God loves me as I am he loves us enough to want to change us but his discipline doesn't come to that. His grace, his mercy come to that. Discipline comes to us when he keeps telling us, don't do that. When you've got a toddler sticks wants to stick its finger in the electricity plug, don't do that. Do, why are you telling him not to do it? It's going to kill him. Then it's going to kill him. Don't do it. So eventually you're going to slap him hard enough to let him know he doesn't put his fingers in that hole. That is, God is a perfect parent. Motivation is love. Pardon? Motivation is love. Motivation is love. He is a, but he is disciplines us. And it says in Hebrews, doesn't it? And uh, chastises every son that he receives. Because we are fallen, 
we need to be like a pat of butter patted into some shape the problems come when we won't be patted into shape that we resist the pressure of the we resist what the holy spirit wants to do and then you find that in the five cycles of discipline if you look at, at israel and you see the five cycles of discipline they're in the fifth cycle now the land would spew them out so they're no longer but now it also said i will therefore i will allure her i will draw her back now he's drawing israel back and he's drawing them back because he's going to bring judgment on them eventually multitudes multitudes in the valley of decision that's the valley of judgment that judgment has to come because god will judge rebellion it is as the sin of witchcraft uh, it is it is high on his agenda rebellion because it's the, the it is the intrinsic nature of the fall shan't won't and i will you know what it's like with a willful child. You do not want to hit them, smack them, but you must tell them. Um, the young lady from um, Frinton with her little ones, t t two and a half year old and the four or five year old. It, it bothered me when she told me that the little one, she didn't have her on reins, you've heard this before, she didn't have her on reins at all because she said, oh, she walks well holding on to the pushchair and I thought not a two and a half she doesn't well of course the day came when she ran out into the road and she scolded her something shocking and I said you should have her on a rein you this is this is the unconnected generation that we're dealing with now you should have her on a rein you her, are her authority went about there I think because a few months later she comes and she said uh, we're having terrible trouble we've got a, a, a child ruled household they won't do what we tell them. They shout back, they kick and they shout. They won't do what they tell They're helping themselves out the fridge. They're taking the videos. They're putting them on. I said to her, go away and ask the Lord how to bring your child up. She went away. Uh, A4 sheet of instructions. They do as you tell them. You put a rain, reins on the, the little girl. They eat what they're given. You choose their clothes. Giving children choice at that age is absolutely ridiculous. Their little um, psyches can't support it. So she had this list of stuff. Took it home to her husband. He was absolutely thrilled because they just were drowning in the fact the kids would not do what they were told. Um, order restored. And the Lord said, no second chance. If they don't do it, you tell them. If they don't do what they're told, you will smack them. And it's a wooden spoon, smack. And I thought, Ooh. but you're not getting three warnings. Do it. What they're learning is discipline so that when they come to the word of God, they won't argue with it because they have learnt discipline. They will know if God says don't do it, don't do it doesn't mean that they won't be tested and tempted because they will because as we'll see in a minute temptation has its place because it is there to test us so is that is that clear now i mean he's he is lovely it's also fair. i was thinking my sheep hear my voice and that's, the that's right you know, if you love me you'll obey me yeah you see more and more now he's bringing us back to the word 
Smith Wigglesworth said that in the latter days when the spirit and the word come together the dunamos power the dynamite power of God will be released and we are in those days this last 25 years of Christians have not been discipled properly and we're actually reaping that now but God is moving to adjust that not only is there a, a um, like uh, I believe we're in the second wave of the Holy Spirit's pouring out now. The first wave was Toronto when an awful lot of people came into renewal. Those that missed it 10 years ago are now coming in now into that. And the, the mid-course correction he's making is bringing us back into alignment. And this is where you find out how rebellious your nature is. Mm. This is where you find it. It's really, really, really interesting. You can see it, and you, I don't need to go any further than me. Because it's in me. So, um, it's in me. Because, and, and he's knocking it out of me, I'm glad to say. Um, as Graham Cook says, if you don't uh, do what he says the first, second, third, fourth, fifth time, he's likely to take you behind the woodshed and smack your bottom. Mm -hmm. Because he's a good parent. And no uh, uh, chastening seems pleasant, but afterwards, for those who are exercised thereby, be exercised, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And if it doesn't exercise you, you'll get another tan until it does. But it's in love. It's in Hebrew somewhere. Someone will tell me. An example how when you don't obey the baby, when he takes you behind the, the shed and gives you a smacking. What what how does that work out like in the in the in the in the practical I can't that? give you an example off the top of my head, but you might understand as I go on teaching this. Could I give an example? Yeah, please. It's very extremely extreme. Oh yes, I can give an example. But yeah, okay, go on then. My uh, my um, husband Josh uh, come, uh, grew up in a Hindu family. When he got saved, it was quite a. Uh, it was it, he was definitely saved, but it was quite a shallow um, walk that he had with God. And uh, he went back home to Mauritius and dabbled with something witchcrafty, which I begged him not to. And um, he was living a life that was quite far from God. And saying to the Lord one day, "Would you please bring him back?" to yourself however you need to do that <laughs> I mean this is Sorry, extreme, this is extremely extreme I know and it's shocking but when I prayed that prayer on my way home with my baby from church I had a <gasps> kind of feeling that oh my goodness that is such uh, I really prayed something extremely powerful and um, it was um, a matter of about three months later that my husband actually um, did die with um, uh, from leukemia which to me feels like the Lord just switched off his bone marrow and said, come on son, you're not trustworthy, I'm taking you home. Mm. And that to me was kindness. Yes. It was a rescue. Yes. That the trouble he could have got himself into and mm. us. Mm. So I mm. think that that is wonderful kindness Thank you. of God. Oh. Thank you. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, <coughs> an, uh, an example I can give, um, uh, without mentioning any names at all, um, uh, is that when a God speaks and speaks and speaks and speaks to you and you steadfastly refuse to hear what he's saying, eventually you will get afflicted physically. 
um, and um, I have known someone who was very afflicted physically uh, and finally saw um, that the words that were coming through my mouth were actually his words because I had refused and refused and refused to hear what I was saying because they did not recognize that it was God that was speaking and they had determined some time before that they wouldn't actually listen to what I said. Little realizing that they were storing up for themselves trouble. Because God does not always bring judgment right away. He lets us run on and run on. I had a dog and uh, one of these extending leads, you know, where you they can run like mad and then suddenly it gets them. And <laughs> And he used to go flying, and I'd got this lead here, and suddenly he'd come to the end of it, and he used to do a cartwheel because he was going full tilt. And I thought, always thought that's like God. He'll let us go full tilt, and then suddenly you hit the wall or come up against it. But he never, ever, 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 ever does it without many, many, many warnings. He'll warn you a little bit harder next time. You've only got to look at the five cycles of discipline of Israel. He said to them clearly, if you do this, I'm going to do that now. <coughs> Did it. If you do this now, look, I'm going to have to do that. <coughs> and so it went on, until finally he said, you'll be eating your own children, you'll be in cannibalism, and the lamb will vomit you out. So you see, he's a good father. It doesn't... It, all day long, he says in Hosea, it used to make me cry because in the Good News Bible there was a little illustration of this line drawing of God um, with his arms around these hordes of people. He says, all day long I've held out my hands, that's Isaiah actually, to a disobedient and gainsaying people. All day long I've pleaded with them to come back to me. He calls us constantly. We've actually got to face the fact that right inside of us we are pre-rebellious. Because while we're in denial, we're actually open to deception. Uh, so we need to say, Father, like I said yesterday, deal with me ruthlessly. Um, I can never remember the prayer. Deal with me ruthlessly and begins with us and I can't remember it now but severely. severely thank you and correct me severely I mean that deal with me ruthlessly and correct me severely because I do not want to be running off down the road there have been times when I've said to him oh why didn't you shout tell me before because up you remember the issue with the photocopying where I went to the photocopier some of you know this I used to get stuff photocopied and I was so intent on what I was getting, I didn't hear what the girlie was saying. And she'd say, giving you a special rate. Oh, thanks very much. Mm -hmm. Got it all. Mm -hmm. Off I go. Back at her. And eventually one day I thought, she charged me something. I thought, that's not, nothing like enough. And suddenly driving back from there, I said, she's been undercharging me all this time. So I started to try and do a quick calculation of what I could possibly owe the place. And in the succession between coming from Paddock Wood to here, I said to the Lord, I'm not fit. 
to be I'm not fit to be your servant I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry I didn't see it and I'm not fit so I sort of wrote my resignation before he kicked me out really when, we, when I came back Joyce and I prayed and we both got that I should take 50 pounds around there so I took 60 just to make sure the girlie had gone home because she only worked part time so I said to the lady behind the counter, would you please put this in the till? She said, what's this for? I said, I think I've been undercharged. Would you just put it in the till, please? So I want you to have it because, so she didn't, bless her, didn't ask any questions. Just put it in the till. So I came home and a bit like Elijah under the broom tree, I went up to my room and just sat there. I felt absolutely numb. I thought, that is it. I have, I can't be trusted. I'm dim. I didn't see it. And he said to me, go down, I've reinstated you. Now, I can't receive that. Go down, I've reinstated you. I thought, I better receive that. Thank you, Father. I did not deliberately do it. I wasn't being corrected because I'd done something wrong and I hadn't listened. I saw, and I was ready to just throw the lot up, because I thought, as I said to you yesterday, it's one thing for you to trust him. It is a totally different thing for him to trust you. That requires many, many tests, and they will come with people. That is how he tests us. How am I going to react when someone goes to my jugular? Am I going to think and go for them. I mean, I told you yesterday about the, the, the car business, but this is in the context of relationships within the body. How am I going to react when I'm held up to reproach, when I'm held up to ridicule uh, publicly, when I'm uh, publicly um, held up as don't go there? That's happened to me seven, uh, two or three times. Father, twice twice that I can remember um, where the leadership from the front has said don't go near that woman how am I going to react because he's looking at my heart he's not saying anything to the person who said that he's looking at how I am going to react to that because he wants to put me in a position of authority and if I can't judge righteous judgments then he won't let me go there. So I have got to be rejected, humiliated. Uh, the way down is up. Broken. Yeah. The way down, down is up. Yeah. The way up is down. Yeah. The way up is down. That's it. You know, you, the reverse to what it is in the world. So when you come into leadership, what you come into is servanthood. You do not come into... I say jump, you say how high. You come into total serving of the body of Christ and that is what leadership is all about. So I'd say to you, if you, if you aim for leadership, be aware of the cost of it because it means that you have got to serve everyone until you are on your knees and be gracious to them and love them. I was going to bring this in tomorrow, but I'll bring it in now. I think it'd be a good one. 
when you start to live in community, you learn how relationally mature you are. Because people will stand on all 11 of your toes. They will invade your space. They will cause you to see where your buttons are being pushed. So the right response is to say, Father, what is it in me you are trying to... I went away with um, Jenny Larkham one time because she asked me to go on her team. And I was allocated a room downstairs, which was... Um, I didn't, and they took me a folding bed, so that was fine. And I'm in amongst all this stuff, chairs and tables. That was okay. So I tucked down for the night. They put um, a, a blanket over the door because it was glass, and they didn't want the blokes looking in when I was getting dressed. And I tucked down for the night, and that was fine. And suddenly the security light came on. It's right above my head, and it's like these lights that go on where you're outside the door, you know, at night time. Halogen, are they? I'm thinking, Father, this will be extremely difficult for me to get to sleep. So he said, uh, are we going to overcome? Or are we going to bleat all night? I said, I am going to overcome. I am going to overcome. So I started to worship. I started to thank him. Put my pillow, I think, over my face. Anything to block this light out. Because I couldn't get away from it. I mean, it's like, you know what they're like. The spotlight. All of a sudden, the fire alarm goes off. I say, oh, bliss. <laughs> so out I trot, and about three others of us there, Jenny and myself and somebody else, I said, where's everybody else? You know, the, plate, the fire alarm's going off. Oh, she said, it's just, how are you doing in there? I said, oh, uh, it's a bit difficult. I said, I've got this here light on. She put her hand inside the door and said, you don't need that on, and turned it off. <laughs> I thought... I thought it said, do not turn off, because I thought, I mustn't, I mustn't turn it off, because something might go if I turn the light off. Different sort of dying. You have to learn to die to things, you know. Um, things that bothered me last week don't bother me now, because I say to myself, die, you blighter. Um, the other day we were out there and the thing that really gets me going is the young lad next door with his car he's got a very powerful engine and a huge exhaust pipe and it throbs away out there well I'm in conversation with someone out there and it started up and I could feel it go up it came and I made a choice I said I'm not rising to that I'm tuning it out it's all about choices so I wouldn't have my old nature and I forgot about it. But what tends to happen with me, I don't know if you're the same, is my button gets pushed, everything rises here, it starts to come out of here, because that's what happens, it comes out of your mouth. Um, whereas back there I could have made a choice. And the more choices you make to kill that thing off, the more peace you will walk in. Because we're actually talking about peace and rest. So now I've almost got the victory over that. It used to be car alarms. And next door but one there, he'd got a fleet of lorries or cars and things. Had them in there one night. And all of a sudden, the car alarm started going off. And I'm thinking, I can either let him know at 2 o'clock in the morning or let that battery go flat. But I'm, actually, it doesn't... House alarms, car alarms were going off all the time, weren't they, when we were in Paddock Wood? 
these things that seem to be just part of uh, life around you are actually there to kill you off so that you will come to a place of peace and things won't bother you and guess what when you've got past those there'll be a few more on the next level <laughs> anyway enough examples <laughs> little squeak thank you <laughs> okay right so today it's uh, the battle for the soul making choices even though we've done a little deviation it's all good stuff you will never know victory until you've been in the battle um, I'm presuming that you're all familiar with the difference between soul and spirit uh, but just as an outline, the simplest way of understanding it is that the soul, which is the mind, your emotions and your will, is Martha. You remember the story of Mary and Martha, don't you? Always cumbered about with something. Now, there's nothing wrong with Martha because she was getting on with her job. The problem was that she couldn't leave Mary alone. <laughs> and our spirit is Mary. So there you've got the conflict. Mary sits continually at Jesus' feet. And if you can get yourself quiet enough, you will find that Mary is worshipping. So you wake with a hymn, a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song, because your Mary is in supremacy. Your spirit is ruling. And the soul actually occupies a position it was never meant to have when we were created. Adam's spirit was in supremacy. And it was in contact and connection with God. And when he fell, his human spirit was cut off from God and ceased to be under his lordship. So the soul seized opportunity and took control. So when we're born again and the Holy Spirit comes and indwells our human spirit, the battle begins. And if anybody here doesn't have a battle between the soul and the spirit, take me to one side and tell me how you've licked it, will you? Because... And, but the other thing is that if you don't think you have a battle, you're actually in a very unfortunate position because you haven't realised that the Holy Spirit and your spirit are at war with one another and he's going to win. So that probably means he hasn't got enough room to move. So if you never have a conflict, you're permanently in the flesh. Yeah. And if you never realise that, that reality, I can tell when my flesh is rising, whoops, up it comes, and I think, down it'll happen i mean if you i tell you one wonderful way to deal with your flesh is to become a counselor and a prayer minister because they'll tell you they'll get right up your left nostril <laughs> and you have to learn to close it down my way of closing down on myself is to say to the lord would you come and sit on this please before i chop the red off at the neck you know, and so I, I have to do this. You're trying to tell someone something and they're coming back with the butts and the butt eyes and you, you know, you don't understand. And the one, so you, there has been one or two rare occasions when I've actually terminated in the, in the counselling room because the provocation has been so great that I would be likely to lose it. So I've said, look, I need to terminate this or excuse me for a moment while I just go and cut my own throat. <laughs> So I won't do anything I'll be sorry for. Smith Wigglesworth said, uh, it is possible to destroy in five minutes what you spent five years building. Mm -hmm. 
this is what's under our nose is what is the problem if we do not get control of what comes out of our mouths it will actually betray us mm. at the moment when we least expect it and least want it because out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks and again it's the issue of your heart so we want our hearts tuned to the heart of God don't we mm. so in order to do that we have got to live the exchanged life it's no longer I that live but Christ that lives in me and they become not just words and a declaration but a reality so that he can speak through you if you particularly have one of the uh, verbal ministries like prophetic your tongue must be brought under the lordship of the holy spirit mm. because the gift will operate but you'll destroy it with your character and and that is the way it will go your character will not support the gift so you have got to ask the lord to bring your character in line with your gifting because you can destroy it otherwise and if you if you're not learning to bring the word properly the way in which it is brought and the timing with which it is brought you lose your credibility mm. it's ever so easy to get a word get excited about it and bring it and nobody takes any notice you can take the off get rejected and walk off it's part of it rejection is a big part of anything wherever you are in ministry learn to be rejected and learn to bounce back because rejection isn't your portion it really does not matter what other people think you're doing it all for an audience of one mm. everything for an audience of one I, I love you all dearly but truthfully your opinion of me is not what governs how I am because if it was I would be pulled this way and that I would have to please you I'd have to explain why I'm doing things I'd have to substantiate my decisions because I want to please you I don't want to be out with you I don't want you rejecting me mm. when you have to bring the word of the Lord you'll bring it lovingly and kindly as you can but sometimes as, as I said the truth when it comes is always negative so people will react that's fine let the old earth take a couple of worlds and they'll be back again uh, classically I remember in fact I think it's, it's Tanya who met the girlie recently didn't you Phyllis yeah, yeah. knew a lady uh, some years ago I mean years ago 20 years ago when I, I lived in New Ash Green and, and and when I look back I see that God has always brought me in the same ministry so 20 years ago I had people to stay with me and we prayed with each other and when this lady prayed she had a manifestation I said just a moment I knew very little no 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 spirit of God it's demonic says me so we fell out on that point because I wasn't so gentle and gracious then didn't think any more about it about five years later I'm standing at QT in Q4T um, in, in some Christian gathering around about here Dartford or somewhere and she's behind me in the queue tapped me on the shoulder I turned around you were right right what do you mean you know that you know when I was mm, it was demonic 
Oh, oh, brilliant. I mean, I'd forgotten about it by then. But funnily enough, Tanya met the lady some uh, a couple of weeks ago and happened to say that I was still knocking about. <laughs> I don't think the response was all that good. <laughs> That's okay. Jesus loves me, this I know. <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> but it's audience of one. When I've had to bring a word to people, or I've had, whatever, I'm going back to God and saying, Father, you know, these are your children. Who could I have done that differently? For a long time, he, last year, year before, I can't remember now, I haven't got very far, have I? Um, he took me to task because he said, I've given you authority and you are not using it. Oh, all right then. So I try. But I find it very difficult. But I'm finding it easier now. It's, uh, I, you know, whether people agree or disagree with the um, decisions that I make, and I'm always open to people saying, look, I think that wasn't fair. I want to talk to you. I, I'm Hopefully I'm teachable, approachable, and, and open. Hopefully. Don't ever be frightened to come and say to me, because I will take it away and say to the Lord, is there a grain of truth in this? Anyone in leadership must be able to say that. Not think, well, I know I've got it right. It isn't a case of rights and wrongs. Because like we saw yesterday, when Jesus comes, he doesn't come to take sides. He comes to bring righteous judgment into it. So I'm not for that one or against that one. It's never that issue. The issue is what is God saying. Mm. People will bring to me... Well, so-and-so said this, and so-and-so said that, and he said, and I said, and, and I'm saying, yeah, but what's God saying? No, no, you don't understand. And they've upset me. No, what's God saying? Because I've got to go above what's coming out of here, because that's just that just perpetuates the words to get to the issue of what is God saying in this? What's he asking of you? What's he asking of me? And if you're the person sitting here, and complaining about this, it's probably you that he's speaking to. Because that's the most often the case. Not always. And you have to be able to judge righteous judgments. Because when Jesus comes, he doesn't come to take sides. And neither should we. That does not mean that you won't stand in a position of defending someone when the Lord will tell you to do that. You're right. This needs to be done. This needs to be said. We need to do that because that is not fair. The other thing we have to learn is life is not fair. It's all part of it, isn't it? So, get back on course. So the soul occupies a position it was never meant to have when we were created. And when his spirit was... Uh, cut off from God, this is Adam now, it ceased to be under his lordship and the soul seized its opportunity and took control. So when the Holy Spirit indwells our human spirit, the battle begins. And after the honeymoon period, if you're anything like me, which lasts about two weeks, where everything in the garden is lovely and, oh, oh, bliss, I love everybody. The sun is shining, the sky is blue, the flowers are brighter than ever. The war breaks out. Soul versus spirit. 
And Romans 6, 7 and 8 tell you about the dilemma. A wretched man I am, Paul would say, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God in Christ Jesus. The solution is being in Christ, the exchanged life. From having no choice, we now have a choice. Before I was born again, I had no choice. I followed the dictates of my soul and the lusts of my flesh. Before I was born again, I was into adultery. I had many relationships. I'm not proud of it. But what God did was he gave me a choice and he gave me the power to choose not to do that and live like that again. So it was old nature on you in every situation. The exchanged life. And as Graham says, God and the devil have both got the same agenda. They both want to kill you. The devil wants to destroy you and wipe you off the face of the globe. And God wants to kill you off so that you come into a resurrection life. And that is possible in this life. Uh, people, um, The Anglican Church I know will never be perfect this side of heaven. That is because they totally misunderstand the scripture. That word perfect is mature, not sinless perfection. It is totally possible to become mature in this life and still work on sinless perfection, which we won't reach till we get there. It's the old, it's, the, it's coming from the nepios to the uh, technon to the paidon to the huios. If we're sensible, we talked about goals the first day, we all want to be huios. We all want to be fully mature sons. But God will not trust us with his checkbook until we know he knows that we can be trusted. When you see people moving uh, like Graham now in an apostolic prophetic anointing, seeing healings and signs and wonders following him, you know that man has been tested to the nth degree because God can trust him. Choices. I'm always saying to the Lord, I, I just don't know where, you know, I just pray that I will go right through to the end because you never know what the next test is going to be and whether you that's just one test too many. So you see people fall by the wayside. You see, uh, I won't mention any names, leaders go into adultery, jack it all in after they've had a tremendous... Uh, type they, it's the pressure is too great one of the things in leadership is not to allow the sheep to crush you they're supposed to be crushing the wolf they're supposed to be closing ranks and crushing him but because of an ungodly expectation upon leadership a lot of leaderships especially where there's only I didn't know I was going to say this keep going where there is just one man at the front, the pressure put upon that man is not godly, and the sheep do it. So he breaks down, or he goes into adultery, or he goes into anything, pornography, anything, because the poor man is, is trying, is, he doesn't meet my needs. Let me tell you, he is not meant to meet your needs. You are meant to get your needs met through Christ Jesus and the Father. Every sheep is meant to get their needs met there, not through the poor bloke at the front. I hear it so often, well, there's nothing, there's no pastoral. 
element to it, you know, and we just don't know where to go. And I'm thinking, grow up. Grow up. But don't want to grow up. Got to go somewhere else to get my knees met. I had a picture once, and, and actually I think I've just had a download on what it was really about. This was this big fat sheep, lovely. I'm not fat, I'm fluffy. <laughs> sheep in the field, all looking around like this. Grass up to here, and I'm saying to the Lord, they're fat, but they're, there's grass. They're, how are they getting fat without being like, eating that grass up? So he said, open their mouths. So I opened the mouth, not a tooth in the head. He said, they've been spoon-fed, bottle-fed. They're fat. I was looking at something this morning. Um, it was Bob Mumford, and he talked about a word that came at his fellowship, upset him no end. Uh, Thus said the Lord, he comes seeking fruit in his vineyard, and he finds only leaves. I said, leaves, leaves? Only leaves? Look at all the people that I've got here, Father. Look at them all got nothing to do with it. There's no fruit coming off of those people. And he said they were fat sheep, they were well fed, but they were giving forth, they were bringing, they were self, they were consumed with themselves, so they were fat. They weren't giving away what they got. And I thought, oh, me sheep with the no teeth. <laughs> Ting-a-ling, another bell rang. <laughs> Ah, so, um, okay, we'll just take a little break there for 20 minutes perhaps. And, uh... <coughs> Off we go then. Off we go. Where do you want your coffee? On there, please, dear. Yeah. Shall I push record again? Cause, oh, no, that's it. It takes a moment, doesn't it, to actually register that it's... Just a minute. Yes. That's okay then. Right. We'll just go on a bit. Thank you. So the battle begins now. And um, we have a choice. I am pressing a point here, which I've been pressing all week, to put off our old ways of thinking and behaving and put on the new, the exchange at the cross. The lady that came, uh, that came back into our lives from ten years ago, she was the first person I ever heard talk about... Um, the exchanged life and she said she hadn't discovered how to do it yet but she knew that this was possible um, and there was a book by um, Hannah Whitehall Smith that I think was called The Secret of the Exchanged Life and it is really just the, the, the pivot of making the choice to live in the new and not in the old all the time um, and uh, when she came, I said to her, do you remember? Do you remember that? Have you found it? And she said, no. I said, I have. <laughs> I'm, living in the cho I'm living in making the choices. I found out what it means, the exchange made at the cross. My rags for his righteousness. It's pointless Jesus doing all that if we're not going to actually come in to the righteousness. We are clothed in his righteousness alone. It's like having a cheque and having it up on the mantelpiece and not cashing it. So the choices bring us into our inheritance. The basic part of our inheritance is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the minute you find your righteousness, peace and joy going out the window, you're losing your inheritance. 
So that's your way to find out whether you're in the spirit or the flesh. Where's my righteousness, peace and joy? I've dropped them round here somewhere. And that's all, the, the whole issue is that God has something for us to have now when we're talking about inheritance. Yes, he is our inheritance eternally, but there is an inheritance in this life that we can walk in. And it is a totally different plane from that which we've been living on, most of us anyway. So choose God and live in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the sin nature, otherwise known as the flesh or the carnal nature or the Adamic nature. Inner healing is valid and it's needful, but it's not the whole answer. We need discipline to come into God's best. There's a place beyond healing where we move into the purposes of God. We cannot live in a ministry situation. I do know people who it's going to be the next ministry that they get that they're going to be all right. But what are they going to be all right for? What's their goal? To get healed? Or is it to come into their kingdom purposes that God's got for them? And nine times out of ten, they'll go to that conference, get something, then they're off to another conference, get a bit more. And they never actually come into the place where they start living and walking in what Jesus won for them on the cross. I don't want to get there and find that he had won for me so much more than I ever understood because that nullifies his work for us on the cross. He said, it is finished. So all of us really need to say to him, where's my inheritance? How do I come into it? What does this mean in kingdom terms? You see, as we talk, we're talking about the difference between church and kingdom again. We've got church focused and orientated. Go up a level, look at things kingdom wise and church and what's happening there will not upset you because you will have a wider view. You will, um, the grace of God will come on you to see that what is happening in church is just part of what is happening as the church becomes kingdom. It should be the other way round that we understand kingdom and from kingdom church is built. But we've, What's happened is that man has grasped what he can manage. Mm. And so he has built something that is called church. And it's a bit like an Emmet thing. It's a got bit here. And then you pour something. Do you remember Emmet's clock? No, none of you are old enough. At the South Bank, first of all, the, uh, when the South Bank exhibition was on, it must have been in the 50s, this clock was there and it would chime on the hour and the half hour. But it was, it had... Um, like a round thing there that you put that they put water in and then the water went down the chute and that tipped something else and then it went down there was a few whirs and whistles and then a few balls would drop into something eventually the clock would tick or chime. It was really funny, a very clever thing. Um, but that's what the church is like largely. Bits and pieces bolted on here and there, taking a bit from it, and we like that bit, like that bit. But basically, the structure has stayed the same. One man up the front doing all the business, pew sitters doing nothing at all from one Sunday to the next, 36. And uh, that's the way it's been. But God is just, he's just, he's just ripping it apart. It has served its purpose. Now, I'm not criticizing it, but I'm saying that the prophetic, the intercessors and the worshippers will step into something new before the rest of the church do. So you'll find yourself out of step a bit when you start talking about these things, but you start living it and people will want to follow you into the promised land. 
land of promises. We've got to come into this place. So there's a place beyond healing where we move into the purposes of God and we can't live in that ministry situation. It could actually be that we need to change certain behaviour patterns and cycles. I remember when I first went to LL and they started talking about behaviour patterns and cycles, I didn't understand what they were talking about. And everybody else seemed to understand it. There'd be these diagrams up on the board and I'm thinking, what are they talking about? It took me a while. So sinful, rebellious, behavioural attitudes, rejecting and resisting God will open us up to deception. And we can be deceived. If you find yourself going round the same situations again and again, where people say the same things to you, and you feel quite justified in defending yourself, it could be, sweetheart, that God is nailing something in your life and you can't see it. It's a bit like, this made me laugh when God gave me this last night, it's a bit like repetitive strain injury. The repetition is a strain. <laughs> I thought, I don't believe that. I'm sitting there at my laptop typing away as he's sort of downloading it. Oh, I like that. It's clever. The repetition is a strain. In situations like this where you find yourself going to God and telling him it's happened again and they just don't understand me, it may be that he is actually saying something to you because the flesh will often fight much harder than a demonic force to maintain its hold. And we need to be aware that loads of stuff in your life could well be flesh, not wounding or demons. And this is where we do need to discern who's doing what to whom. I'm always saying this to the girls here. Who's doing what to whom? As Graham's classic questions, you know, is this you? Is this the devil? Is this training for raining? Am I reaping what I've sown? Are you nailing something? in my life we need to be honest to find out what's going on and we need to be absolutely honest with ourselves and others don't try to defend yourself because he is your vindicator mm. the number of times i have been in in situations not many with leadership but where leadership have not understood and all sorts of things god's has reminded me of something now is so gracious constantly in my Christian walk for the first 15 or 20 years men did not understand me and one classic day we went to um, lunch I think it was with the, the um, assistant pastors of uh, Church on the Way they'd invited us over there and all of a sudden the husband came and knelt in front of me and said men have not understood you right the way through your Christian walk and I want to apologise mm -hmm. if you don't retaliate no defence no attack God will vindicate you but if you try to defend yourself because in defending yourself you attack someone else mm -hmm. can't do it any other way interesting. no defence no attack Father you're my vindicator it requires you to keep quiet Unless he tells you you need to speak in this situation. So you can't cover every base. If you're someone who actually needs to be assertive and don't normally speak up, then you must do what God's telling you. But if you're like me and you are assertive, then I have to learn no defence, no attack. And I lived with that for years. I read it in a book. <laughs> and I thought, that is brilliant. No defence, no attack. Because God is my vindicator. 
he will vindicate me. If I need vindicating, he will do it. And sometimes you need you wait many, many years and the vindication comes and you know what? You don't care. It doesn't matter. When that man came to me then, it didn't matter. Lola gave me a scripture years ago. Um, I, I, have, I will bring those who have sort of been against you will come and kneel at your feet and ask your forgiveness. Three or four years later, that began to happen. That people actually came and at my feet and said, I'm sorry. And that sweetheart, don't worry about it. I can't even remember what we're talking about. It doesn't matter. You allow yourself to be dealt with. Jesus went like that, didn't he? Vulnerable. Let him get in there and deal with this oh-so-precious-and-sensitive flesh. When people say to me, well, I'm very sensitive, I think, no, you're not. You're just so full of flesh that you can't bear anybody getting near you because I'm sensitive, you see, and I pick up when people say things that hurt me. All you're showing me is that you're carnal as yet. That's okay, that's fine, but try doing that a bit. Because when your arms have gone like that, they can then go like that. For the CD, I'm opening my arms like a cross and then I'm wrapping them around someone. Because until you've done that, all anyone will come up against is your defensive position because you're not going to allow yourself to be got at. Mm. These are all rejection reaction patterns and cycles. Um, but that, that rejection has to be opened up to the healing power of God and so that we see, we have to ask him, okay, Father, what are my rejection reaction patterns? And if you put at the top a word, incident, we're going in a circle now, the incident happens, from that you perceive something, from that you react and from that you go into behaviour. There you have a behaviour cycle. Every time you go into that cycle you are covenanting with the enemy because you're going in your old nature. Now if you've got your incident and your perception and just below that you stick a little arrow out, that is your choice, your exit place. As you consistently make choices to come out, you will break that behaviour cycle. And you can apply that to anything. The way you think, the way you behave, the way you react. You can draw your little cycles and you can see, it's okay Lord, strip me down, show me what I'm like. And he'll say, I'll just give you an incident before the day's out. And you can see, he, he loves to give you an example so you can say, that's what it is. I always go like that when someone pushes that button. It may be, I've gone off my notes, it may be that there is a bullet in there. Um, Derek Prince tells the story of when he was um, a grade A, class one, class one medical orderly <laughs> in the desert which is where he came to the Lord, I think, when he was in the, in the, in the desert during the war. Uh, and he was a class one medical orderly. Man comes in, bullet wound in shoulder, so he gets this pack, pad out, ready to apply to the shoulder. Says to the doctor, shall I put this pad on here? And he says, no, just a moment, we'll just see uh, first. And he gets a probe. And where the hole is in the man's shoulder, he 
pokes the probe in. Man does vertical takeoff. Just a moment. Bullet in there. Pincers, takes out the bullet. Now you can put the pad over. Mm. What so often happens with a rejection situation is that you've long since forgotten what the initial rejection was, but the bullet is lodged. Mm. Someone pushes on that bullet with their probe and you do a vertical takeoff 0 to 60 in two seconds and you do not know why you explode like that in the same way every time eventually you'll get fed up with it because it isn't the other person it's something God is saying there's an unhealed wound here very easy to deal with a young man came to me some years ago now um, referred by Giles actually been in depression for years. As he walked in the door, I could see an x-ray plate above his head and lodged in his heart was a bullet. And I'm looking at this x-ray plate. So he began to talk to me and negativity coming out of his mouth. Obviously, rejection, self-rejection, um, suicidal tendencies, the whole package. So I said to him, I can see an x-ray plate above your head and I see a bullet lodged in there. Would you allow the Lord to remove the bullet? He said, yes. So I prayed a simple prayer, just said, Father, please, would you go into where you know the bullet is and remove it for him, please? And would you irrigate the wound because it's healed over? What happens is, you see, it will form sometimes, uh, as you know, if you've got a splinter in your hand, a septic pocket. So you've got the bullet in there, but it's also surrounded by poison. It's just poisonous, this thing. So when someone touches it, it's so sensitive. So I asked him to irrigate and then to heal from the inside out. Nothing much seemed to happen. Saw him again a little bit later on, bright as a button. Above his head, x-ray plate, no bullet. It only takes faith to do what you see, that what God shows you. You know, it shows you these bizarre things in the spirit. Then, of course, he would have to deal with his rejection reactions. I'm sorry? Oh. <laughs>
uh, you'll be talking to someone and you suddenly feel the resistance and you think, whoops, so we've got a fence there. You just may be talking about something and it's touched one of their behaviour patterns and the resistance goes up like nobody's business. I'm not going there. Think, okay, please yourself, sweetheart, but that bit needs dealing with over that fence there. Um, but God sometimes gives us the ability to go under the fence and come up the other side so you're face to face with them because you've actually gone round their perimeter fence and come up and see them. That makes them laugh. Had one young lady and she said, um, this pretty girl never seemed to be able to get boyfriends or sustain a relationship. And I got this picture of like Stulag Luft 5 with her upper tower and this searchlight going round and round like this. There's a, a, a broad expanse of, of dry ground and then a big high fence with barbed wire all over it, you know. <laughs> I said, sweetheart, do you think that in the spirit you could be giving off something that is actually preventing them getting any closer to you? What do you mean, she said. So I said, well, let's just ask the Lord. So we prayed a bit. She said, I'm seeing like a glass mountain, she said. And every time anybody tries to cl I'm standing on the top. And every time anybody tries to climb up, they slide down. Because they can't, they can't get a grip on it. And I'm just looking and thinking, well, why don't you try harder? I'm up here, she said. And I'm saying, you've got to do certain things to get up here to get at me. And she realised that the fault was not with other people but with her because what she was giving off, we give off, you know, something in the spirit. We're either give, giving off a come and get me. <laughs> if I can use that expression. Come and get me. <laughs> or else we're giving up, giving so far, no further. I'll let you come to there, but that's as far as you go. So you get into a relationship, you get so far... And then the person comes up against a stone wall because they can't, they can't, they can't actually. I think Jack Frost described this. Um, his wife was always saying, "You won't let me get close to you." What do you mean? What are you talking about? Yeah, and the rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. And then one day, God showed him that when he was about seventeen, he'd been wounded by a, his first girlfriend or a girlfriend, and he had made a vow: "I will never let a woman get that close to me again." He meets and marries his wife. But she can't get to the real fella because his vow was holding her away. When he broke that vow, the floodgates were open for his wife to come in. What actually happened there was that then God began dealing with the wife and they were both in tears because he had to... The, the Lord didn't just leave it at that. He, he then said, right, now we're going back five years and I want you to examine every time that you've pushed your wife away. So he's on the floor in floods of tears asking her forgiveness. She's on the floor in floods of tears asking his forgiveness. A reality comes in. Mm. We protect ourselves, even in the most intimate relationships. I never knew my husband. I was married to him for 25 years. I realise now why I didn't know him. I didn't know who he was. When I started going through divorce proceedings with him, uh, he, he, he suddenly started swearing, and I thought, I've never known you swear in my life. I discovered that he was a different man at work than he was at home. Swore like a trooper at work, but very prim and proper at home. I thought, I just don't know this man. I was married to him for 25 years. I don't know him. 
that's just a bit of food for thought. My goodness. So, uh, um, perhaps God is uh, trying to get your attention. So, one way is asking him if you've got any behaviour cycles that uh, you instinctively go into. They're self-protective mechanisms, but they're not pretty. Um, and we all have to go through these things. I mean, we all are self-protective. <laughs> I'll sh tell you one of mine, and then you'll know what I'm doing. When I've had enough at night time, I get my little book of lines out, and I go behind it, and I and I hide, and I know I'm hiding. And I haven't had the courage yet to say to people, "Give me five minutes, will you?" I'm absolutely drained out because that's what I'm doing. And the Lord showed me the other day that that's what I was doing. You're hiding behind that. Oh stop that then no you can do it but be honest sweetheart I haven't got another drip at the moment can you give me just a little time to because everybody thinks that it's only one little thing they've got <laughs> when you've got about 15 of them or 16 with their one little thing by the end of the day you're like a rug out rag but that's okay as I said to some of you, you know, I felt a bit like a sow sometimes with all these titties all the way down and they've got all these pigs pulling at it and scrambling over each other, you know, pushing each other out of the way to get a bit. That's fine, I'm a little bit playing. <laughs> oh, I promise I won't roll over and squash you like they do. <laughs> I, do you know, I actually saw myself like that one day. I thought, I've got all these pigs all the way down. That was Artemis, you know, uh, the goddess of, of, of Ephesus. She was the had all those big, horrible things, wasn't it? See, when you know that what, what that's a counterfeit of, El Shaddai, ah, the breasted one, the nurturer. So it's devil's counterfeit of that. Anyway, and that's Ashtoreth, and that's the, the one that Easter is named after. Anyway, never mind. I will finish here. Uh, so it really is the only way to make rapid growth in your Christian life and to be accountable to someone. I, like, you know, I don't like it when Joyce tells me things, but I have to, I have to listen. Um, Bob Mumford said that his wife kept, said to him that he kept saying, ain't. No, I don't. He said, she said, you do too. No, me? I don't say ain't. got really annoyed with her. All right, then, next time you're speaking, I'm going to put the tape recorder on. So she put it on. And... Uh, even when he heard himself say ain't in about the first four minutes of it <laughs> several times, he still found it difficult to actually acknowledge that she was right. <laughs> it's climbing down, isn't it? And saying, okay, you're right. The truth when it first comes is always negative. I would be real blessed if you write that down for me as we finish now. Because the, the truth, when it first comes, is always negative. You mean our reaction to the truth? Absolutely. We always do a vertical takeoff. So, because, as I said before, even before the day's out, someone may say something you perceive as criticism when it's simply God saying through that person, we need, need to make some minor adjustments here, beloved. God says, I've given you free will. I've given you the power of choice. I've given you all the resources of my kingdom. Now do battle for your soul. I've set you free. It's done. Go and possess your possessions. You have the authority. You take it back.
So thank you for listening. We'll finish there and. Um,